0: That's Genesis chapter 2, and we're starting at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then just down to the uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return.
1: Next reading is taken from uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ consequently just as the result of the, of one trespass was condemnation for all men so also was so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men for just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous the law was added so that the trespass might increase but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's word.
2: Good evening. Good evening. Uh, let me have my welcome, uh, Matt. Uh, I'm Matt. If we have not met, and um, this is uh, an exceptionally rich passage, although a tongue twisted to read, with the one man, and the one man, and the one man, and the one man. Uh, so well on to Chris for that. But let's pray, and then we'll jump in together. Father, your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts, and uh, sometimes you, you, you put things in your word in, in a very uh, unusual way, a stark way, to make us see things differently. And as we come to Surely one of those passages this evening, would we not get lost in the detail, but would we be overwhelmed by your grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, Now this is um, an incredibly rich passage, it's dense, it's sort of, at some points a little complicated, but the truth is, in essence, it's very simple, and that's the good news. So if you get lost in the detail, the, the big idea is very simple. Uh, and you could summarize it, I guess, in um, you know, verse 15. The gift is not like the trespass. If, by the, if the many die by the trespass of the one man, here's the big bit. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Grace overflows. That's really the point of this section, which is why uh, you've got a, a holiday snap on the screen uh, of uh, Niagara Falls, uh, if you didn't know it. Now, you could, if you so desired, attempt to start a fire right at the bottom, right in the heart of the horseshoe. Good luck. Because if you try and start a fire there, it's just going to get overwhelmed. It's going to get uh, flooded very, very quickly. It, it, who's been to uh, Niagara Falls? Yeah, It's powerful. You know, you get in the uh, whatever the boat's called, made of the mist. I can't remember something like that, isn't it? And uh, it gets you get near the horseshoe. And roars, it's revving at full capacity, and it just can't go any further because uh, the power of the waterfall is overwhelming. You don't go there and wonder and fear. What if? What if I turn up and it it runs out? You know, I've spent some money. I've got my visa to go from the US into Canada, and oh. I turn up on the day Niagara Falls runs out of water. That would be disappointing. It's not going to happen. It just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. And what is going There's some tricky things in one sense here. The essence is very simple. If you're a Christian, you cannot out-sin God's grace. And if you're a Christian, no matter what you do, you cannot be separated. From the love of God in, in Jesus Christ. Because that grace floods over you. It overflows. It's like Niagara Falls. Just pours and pours and pours. Now we're in this section of uh, um, uh, Romans chapters 5 to 8, we started looking at it last week. Uh, essentially it's asking how then does the, the legal verdict of justification by faith, uh, we said last time that's a, a verdict in the courtroom, I am not condemned, I am justified, how does that legal verdict, I stand righteous before the Lord, how does that transform us? How does that work an in inner, real, inner change within us? How does that work? And uh, Paul is explaining that in uh, um, Romans 5 to 8. Now, all of us struggle to understand it rightly. Justification by faith. Some of us think, well, uh, some of us on this side think, well, uh, can my sin separate me from God? Can God still love me despite what I've done today, this week, this year? And yes, because you're justified by faith, not by what you do, not by your works, but by what Jesus has done. And, and others, of course, will drift to the other end and think, well, okay, that's good. Jesus has done it all, so I can live how I want. Well, that's next week, chapter six. But this week, chapter five, Paul wants you to be really, really comforted and assured. You cannot outsin God's grace. He'll always go further than you. Um, first chapter five verse twelve. Therefore, what's he picking up on? Uh, if we hear last time, chapters five, chapter five verses one to eleven, uh, Paul has stressed that uh, the work of Jesus Christ has uh, uh, um, has reconciled us to God, uh, and that action in the past guarantees our future. Great, your future is certain because of what Christ has done in the past. Great. Now here in chapter five verse twelve, he says, "Now let me just introduce two things that could scare you: sin." and death. They could scare you if you're a Christian. You might think, well, will my sin separate me from Jesus? No, it will not. Will will death separate me from Jesus? No, it will not. And that really is this section, sin and death. You don't fear them because you can't run away. You can't outrun the grace of God. That's really his point. Now, it's sort of, Paul built his argument cumulatively, so you gotta, you know, we, the payoff comes at the end, so we work through it. But it goes a bit like this. Adam brought sin and death, verses 12 to 14. Christ is greater than Adam, verses 15 to 17. And then Adam reveals Christ's greatness, 18 to 21. We'll work through it. First then, verses 12 to 14, it's a history lesson. Excellent. We all think, and I do. Uh, Adam brought sin and death, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sins. Paul begins a comparison, verse 12, which he then breaks off from and picks up again in verse 18. You see in verse 18, uh, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also. That's a comparison, just as, so also. He starts it here, but doesn't actually finish it. But verse 18 helps us understand uh, this first section. Now what's he talking about? It's a history lesson, verse 12. Sin entered the world through one man. Now we read that. We read about that. Uh, Adam was given a law, a commandment. Genesis 2, 17. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge. Don't do that, Adam. Don't do that. He did with his wife. Adam sinned. That's the sort of action, and um, Dave, maybe we we'll work through them. That's the action that takes place in history. There are a number of consequences that flow from that. The first, we're told, death entered the world. Adam sinned. Death enters the world as a power, as a sort of personification here is how Paul uses it. But as a power, death enters the world. Um, death, spiritually, is its fundamental meaning. What happened in uh, Genesis 3? Adam sinned and he's kicked out of the garden. He doesn't physically die at that moment in time. Death is primarily separation from God. But one of its outcomes is our physical death. Yes, of course. Okay. But death enters the world for humans because uh, Adam sinned. Death, separation from God, physical end. That's the sort of uh, first uh, consequence that it takes place. And then the second half of verse 12, what else happens? Well, uh, uh, Adam sins, death enters the world. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Now, those last three words, because all sinned, could be taken in a number of ways. Most sensible is Adam was our representative. When he sinned, we are deemed to have sinned. Now, we're quite familiar with that sort of concept in other areas of life. So, uh, for example, uh, when the Prime Minister goes to the Council of Ministers in Europe, he represents the United Kingdom. If he signs us up to a treaty, we are signed up to a treaty. If he takes us out of Europe, say, and we are, he says we are no longer European citizens, if he does that action, we are no longer European citizens in the same way to give up our passports get the old big fat ones again back whatever it may be now look i'm not it's not a political thing just to be clear whether he does it well or whether he does it badly you decide not me but he represents us if he does something if he takes an action we are bound by that treaty yeah or perhaps even more familiarly um a classic uh, on a football pitch uh bloke steps up takes a penalty Scores the goal, Hey, I've scored, he says. Ten other men on the pitch say, we've scored. And 25,000 in the crowd say, we've scored. Who's scored? One man scored, everyone has scored on that team. You see, the one represents the many. And that's what Paul is telling us happened here. When Adam sinned, all of humanity is deemed to have sinned. Reckoned to have sinned. And so uh, all of us now are born sinners. Bible word. But those who turn away from God. All of us are born that way. And as a consequence, we do little sins. We hate, we lie, we steal, we covet, we uh, we'll do all sorts of those things. Okay? Because we're all born sinners. Adam represented us. When he sinned, all of us are deemed to have sinned. That's how we're now born and that's what we do. Because all sinned, still in verse 12, death. That's the last little consequence. All of us are under the sentence of death. We'll cut off from God spiritually and physically, we will all die. That's a history lesson, he says. That's how it happened. One man His consequences, uh, took place for all of us. Now, something within us objects to Adam representing us. It lies in me, it lies in you. We hear that, we read that and think, I don't want Adam to represent me, thank you very much. I want a better representative. I want someone who doesn't bog it before I was born and screw up my relationship with God before I had a chance to do it myself. I want a different representative. Or, I want to stand on my own two feet, actually, and represent myself. I don't want Adam to do it for me. Kind of lies within us, probably, uh, that sort of attitude, if we think about it. But but perhaps think of it uh, this way. God chose Adam as our representative. He is good. He is wise. In fact, he's all good and all wise. Now, if you believe those statements about him, assumption, if you believe those statements about him, you will be content with his choice of your representative. Because, of course, he chooses perfectly. Not unfairly. So put it in these terms. If you, you, had, a, you had to make a choice, and um, uh, you said, right, well, what am I going to do for a career for the rest of my life, for the next, whatever, 40, 50 years of my life? Uh, either, here's, here's, here's the options, either you sort of try and work it out yourself, or God will tell you what you are most suited to do and most likely to make a success of and what be most useful doing. You'd probably take, okay, God, tell me what to do. Given that you know everything, all possible outcomes, you're omnipotent, omniscient, you know all things, I'll probably run with your choice. You would do. I don't want to be flippant, but... Um, if for some reason you had to, I don't know why, you had to put a, a, a bet upon the 3.30 at Chepstow, uh, I don't know why you would, but you had to do that for some reason. And it, well, I know nothing about horses. I've never done a place to bet in my life, but I've got to do it. Uh, 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 I, can, I can pick between one those two horses, or God will say, look, I can't tell you who wins. Do you want to take my advice? You would do. You would run with his choice because he knows everything. Therefore, when God says, I have chosen Adam as the representative for humanity, if you walk on the assumption that he is all knowing, he is all good, you're going to let him choose for you. You would. And the Lord is all powerful, all knowing, all kind, and he's chosen a suitable representative. Or if you're a Christian and you object to Adam being your representative in this passage, you have to object to Jesus being your representative as well. And then you have no saviour and then you're lost. So you, you want to be careful before you object too much uh, to Adam representing you, I'd suggest. Okay, that's the history lesson. Adam sinned, death entered the world. All of us now are born sinners. All of us are under the sentence of death. Okay, uh, that's the sort of really complicated bit. Let's push on, it gets easier. Verse 13. Because, for, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. Sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who didn't sin by breaking a command, as did Adam. Okay. Distinguish. How did Adam sin? Paul says he broke a command. That's true, isn't it? Uh, Genesis 2.17, don't eat from that tree. What did he do? He ate from that tree. Adam sinned by breaking a command. He's a lawbreaker. What about all those who live between Adam and between the time of the Exodus when Moses was given the law, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. God didn't give them any laws. Did they sin? Yes. Lawbreaking is one way of rejecting God. You've given me a law, I don't like it. Idolatry is another way of rejecting him. Rebellion is another way of rejecting him. You don't have to break a law to go against the will of God. It doesn't have to be that way. So the the two different words here, when Adam is described as breaking a command, that's lawbreaker. But the other word is just a more general sort of word for sin. What does it mean where... um, uh, Sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Paul means sin is not reckoned as law breaking where there is no law. You can't count it, you can't measure it against a, a tick sheet if there's no tick sheet to measure it against. Or, or, uh, let me give you an illustration. Uh, The other day, uh, or last week, I was talking to a dad, and he said, oh, yeah, you know, my kids, you know, they're growing up quickly. Uh, One is a three-year-old boy. The other is a 17-month-year-old girl. She's been fumbling with language for a few months, you know, uh, shoes, socks, daddy, mummy, you know, those sort of things, but hasn't yet put together a sentence. And uh, then the other day at breakfast, um, she I was watching them, and she knocked over a a cup of juice. Apple juice went all over the table. I saw this. Uh, She looked up at me and said, Matthew did it. And he said, isn't that brilliant? Your first sentence. The first sentence you've constructed. And it's a lie. And. Um, it, brilliant, brilliant. There is the doctrine of sin. We're all born sinners. You don't need to be told to do it. Now, no one. Had, what he didn't do. He didn't turn around to her and say. Well you know you've just gone and broken the ninth commandment. He didn't say you've broken a law. But. Because she hadn't, she didn't know that that was technically a law, thou, you know, shall not lie, Um, but she's still done wrong. You don't have to have laws to do wrong, and that's really Paul's simple point here. It's instinctive to us from the moment we're born, because we're now born sinners, because we inherit that from Adam, we sin whether you're given a law, whether you're given Ten Commandments, whether you know the speed limit is 40, which most two-year-olds don't, and nor do they put that in jeopardy, fortunately. But you don't need to have laws you break to sin. That's his point. Adam brought sin and death into the world. It's a history lesson. You think, okay, super. Really? Why do I care? Let him build his argument. Okay, Adam brought sin and death into the world, verses 12 to 14. Second, Christ is greater than Adam. Verses 15 to 17. Adam is then is introduced as a pattern of the one to come, end of verse 14. But the point going forward is, okay, Adam has brought death and sin into the world. But don't worry about them. That's the rest of the passage. Don't worry about them. Jesus' work is greater than the work of Adam. And so you get a number of contrasts here in uh, verses 15 to 17. Each verse has one little contrast. So first, verse 15, grace is greater than death. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Many died by one man's sin, trespass, but the grace that overflows it is more powerful. So you might think of it as sin, as like a, a, there's a valley and a bush catches fire in the valley. And it spreads to the next bush. It spreads and this fire is going along the valley and, and sin is spreading and spreading. But don't panic because someone opens a dam and the whole valley is just flooded. You know, to a depth of 50 meters. And the bush is down here they're completely drenched out. There's no fire there anymore. That's his point. How much more grace is greater than the death that comes from sin? That's verse 15. Verse 16, justification is greater than condemnation. So verse 16, again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses And brought justification. Again, it's fairly dense, but it's a simple point. One sin of Adam led to judgment and condemnation. And then there are multiple, multiple, multiple numbers of sins in the world, but the one gift of Jesus deals with it. Or put it, think of it this way. It's anachronism, but run with it. Adam flies over the United Kingdom and drops an atomic bomb on London. And uh, therefore, there's sort of thermonuclear global war as everyone retaliates, and missiles fly and fly and fly and fly. And so, before you know it, there's you know a thousand atomic bombs blowing up everywhere. Jesus comes along, and in one gift, whoosh, sucks it all up and undoes all that work. That's kind of what he says in verse 16. Adam's sin. Causes ripples and constant, constant, constant transgressions and trespasses and condemnation. Christ's one action undoes it all. Okay, justification is greater than condemnation. Verse sixteen, and then verse seventeen: Our reign is greater than death's. Read it with me. For verse seventeen, four: If by the trespass of the one man death reigned, through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man? Odd comparison, first half, because of Adam, death reigned. Because of Jesus, life reigns. It doesn't say that. Because of Adam, death reigned. Because of Jesus, Christians reign. Because... When you're justified by Jesus, it doesn't just mean you're neutral. It is much more wonderful than that. Uh, think of it this way: if if uh, if you find yourself um, on trial in a court of law, anyone watching Broadchurch at the moment? Yeah, yeah, all right. yeah good. No, it's good. Not as good as season one. Well, maybe it is. Anyway, but anyway, it's all about a bloke being on trial. But um, if you're on trial in a court of law, what you want at the end of it is the judge to say. Okay, you've been found innocent and you are free to go. That's what you want if you're on trial in the box. You're innocent and free to go. When you stand trial before God and are justified, He says you are innocent and you are free to come. See the difference? Not just you enter the courtroom and there was suspicion over you and now you leave and you're morally neutral and you go back to your own old life. But you enter my courtroom guilty, says the Lord. But because you're justified by Jesus, now you get to reign with me. It's not just Adam takes us to minus 10 and Jesus is plus 10 and we sort of level out somewhere in the middle. But that we go from being under the condemnation of sin and death to reigning with Jesus. Or, uh, I don't know how familiar people are these days with um, the the C.S. Lewis, the Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is sort of the best of that series, isn't it? But in that book, you know, Edmund is the wicked one. Edmund is the one who uh, is under the reign of sin and death. He eats the uh, um, Turkish delight and he aligns himself with the White Witch. He is fallen. He is under condemnation. Uh, Aslan dies for him. But he doesn't just go back to being forgiven. And Edmund, the schoolboy, he becomes a king. He gets a crown and reigns at Care Paravel. He goes from being under condemnation to reigning as a king. And C.S. Lewis is saying this. See, Jesus doesn't just, you got a problem, and now you're free. No, you're a problem. You're under sin, you're under, sin, you're under condemnation, you're under death, and now you get to reign. Do you see Paul's point? How much more grace achieves through Jesus Christ than Adam did how much more, it's not that they're equal one is much greater our reign is greater than death's, so really verses 15 to 17 making the one point Christ is greater than Adam okay. third and last verses 18 to, t- to the end, 21 Adam reveals Christ's greatness verse 18 consequently just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men okay a couple of details there one uh, okay Adam's one trespass that was eating the uh, the apple in the garden uh, what was Jesus's one act of righteousness I think that you just got to view that as the whole of his life his obedience at every part of his life and his obedience in his death is his one united act i think that's how we're meant to understand it okay adam adam's action brought condemnation for all men we are every single man and woman is born into this world condemned guilty jesus's act of righteousness brings life for all men does that mean because of jesus Everyone across the globe is is automatically righteous and saved. Now, you've got to really read what Paul has said already. So it is in certainly chapter 3, verse 22, all who believe in Jesus receive the merits of his death. That's the comparison being made. Now, okay, let's take a step back. Why does Paul do this? Uh, I mean, if we sat down tonight and whether you're a Christian or not, uh, okay, uh, who would you compare Jesus to, to demonstrate how great he is? Uh, you might you know, choose a king, a monarch, a sort of hero, a, a sort of sacrificial, you probably wouldn't choose the one man in history who bogged it more than anyone else, who kind of screwed up this world. Hello Adam, what, do you, what, have, you, what have you done with your life? Well, I introduced sin and death into the world. Good one well done adam you wouldn't uh you probably wouldn't choose to make that comparison why does paul make a comparison such as this for one very re- for one simple reason don't think about what you have done think about what your representative has done Every single person either belongs to Adam or belongs to Christ, and what your representative has done is infinitely more significant than what you do that 's why he makes this comparison. Um, I need a giant jefferson you 'll be my giant brilliant, well done. Now these guys have got into a bit of a uh, they've got themselves a bit twisted up. So I might just um, see what we can do about that. There we go. Oh, okay. Uh, can you put can you put this belt on? Mm. Yeah, gone. And uh, if you can bring the men round to the front as far as is possible. Now, this is not my illustration. Uh, it's a, but I always found it helpful. A chap in the 17th century. Thomas Goodwin uh, used this illustration in one of his sermons. I quite like it. <laughs> he says you've got to think. Here is you've got to think of. Adam and Christ, as two giants. There are two giants that bestride this earth. And there are only two, Adam and Christ. And each of them has a belt on. And naturally, all of us are as if we are dangling... Careful, calm down. The uh, All of us, as if naturally, are dangling on bits of string off Adam's belt. Now, it's a low-budget illustration. I've got four play people, not the whole of humanity, but run with it. Okay? Uh, So all of us naturally are dangling off Adam's belt. We belong to Adam. He's our representative. What he does, we do. So if Adam goes onto the stage, humanity goes onto the stage. If Adam sins, all sin. Just just stay there. Stop it. Uh, If Adam is under death, all of humanity is under death. See, what matters is what your representative, your giant does. Now, Christ comes along, and when you, I'll be Jesus, the, um, (laughs) Christ comes along and says, I'm taking him off your belt and putting him on mine. And I'm taking her maybe, a her (laughs) off your belt and I'm putting him on mine. And actually, now you think, okay, what Jesus does, those who are attached to him, trust in him, they do. So if Jesus is on the stage, Christians are on the stage. If Jesus is on the ground, Christians are on the ground. If Jesus dies and triumphs over sin, so do Christians. If Jesus is righteous, so are Christians. That's the point. Do you see the point of his illustration? Will I get to heaven? Sorry, you can come down. The, um, oh, you can hold on to them for now. this fine. If you're a Christian, what your representative does matters much more than what you do. So, Christian, will I get to heaven? My representative excuse me my representative jesus he's in heaven therefore i will go to heaven because he is there and he has done that does it shall i carry on sinning well my representative jesus is pure and therefore i will strive to be as pure as he is does god still love me well my representative jesus is god's beloved son who sits at his right hand and could not be more loved and because i'm attached to jesus i belong to jesus That is true of me. And Paul gives us this slightly bizarre parallel because he wants us to see do you know what, individuals? Stop obsessing with your life. You are just dangling on a little piece of string attached to Adam or Jesus. What they do is infinitely more impressive, sorry, infinitely more influential upon you than your own little actions. You're tiny. Adam strides across the earth. Jesus strides into heaven. If you're attached to them, you go with them. That's why he chooses to this slightly odd parallel to my mind, between Adam and Jesus. Don't worry about what you do. Worry what your representative has done for you and you're attached to him. So don't be scared Don't be fearful of sin. When you do it, confess it, know that you're united to Jesus Christ. You're with him. Don't fear death. If it comes, if it approaches, I'm united to Jesus. This will not separate me from him. Verse 20, why why the law? Why did God give the law? Well, the law was added, verse 20, so that the trespass might increase. Really? Yeah, the law is a wonderful thing. It's like, pure oxygen. You breathe out on a fire, a small fire blows up into life. If you've got a fire, oxygen doesn't calm it down. If you've got a fire, you want to be flooded. You want grace to overflow. So verse 20, the law was added so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. All the more. Uh, it's a it's hard to translate that little phrase. Where sin increased, grace super increased. Where sin abounded, grace super abounded. All the more, something like that. But Paul's point is, however much sin there is, there is always more grace. I just, uh, glazing out of the window this afternoon, saw uh, my neighbor, uh, a middle-aged guy. He's also called Matt. It's a cool name. And um, uh, his little son, Harry. And uh, they were sort of jumping along. Harry's just, just four. Uh, and... Um, So just jumping along the street. And so Harry did a little jump, and then his dad said, Daddy, can you jump further than that? Yes. Well, I can jump even further, Daddy. And his dad outjumps him every time, of course. Because actually, if you're a four-year-old boy, uh, an adult male will always outjump you. Just, sorry, that's how it is. But that kind of is Paul's point here. No matter how you sin, Jesus will always outgrace you. cannot out sin Jesus grace will always overflow no matter how bad your fire Niagara Falls comes on top of you I, uh, I, couldn't, I can't even remember the tune but the, uh, there's an old Wesley hymn which I have put there on the sheet it's lovely I think oh Jesus full of pardoning grace more full of grace than I have sin that's just such an important truth to remember Jesus, more full of grace than I have sinned. There is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in me. That's wonderful. And so Paul would say, don't fear that sin will cut you off from God. Don't fear that death will cut you off from God. Think about Jesus. Is he safe? Is he glorified? Is he loved by God the Father? So are you, because you're attached to him. You belong to him, not to Adam, if you're a Christian. Why did God do it this way? Verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We wouldn't have done it this way. God has done it this way. Why? So that we look upon the grace of Jesus Christ and say, We praise you. You're our Lord. There are only two people in the whole of history that really, really matter. Only two. Churchill's important. He's some commemorations of his death this week. He's important. Napoleon's quite important. Shakespeare's quite important. All these people. There are two people in history that matter. Adam, Jesus. Because all of us, the whole of humanity belongs to one of them. If you belong to Adam, you're under condemnation. You're cut off from God. You're facing eternal death. If you've trusted in Jesus, you will reign with him in life. So don't fear. What they have done is infinitely more significant than what you and I can do. And if you've trusted in the death of Jesus for you, you're his. You can't out-sin him. So Paul would like us to leave Romans 5 before we get to chapter 6. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Well, what should we say then? Should, should we go on sinning? No, stop it next week. Don't do that. We'll get there next week. But he wants us to leave chapter 5, just knowing that grace floods over us. So I don't know if you've got good showers at home or bad showers. I don't know if you've got a sort of pathetic electric one that in the winters sort of on top of you if you have go to a friend who's got a good powerful shower go to the gym at college or work where they've got good powerful showers there are two ways to take a shower as far as I can tell one is for the body one is for the brain the one for the body you go and you wash your hair you wash your body and then you get out three minutes later and it's done the other is you're stressed or you're wound up or you're tired and you get in you turn the temperature on as high as high as you can as hot as you possibly can and you stand there with it pummeling on your head for about 15 minutes and just go ah. And it's fabulous. And you're just overwhelmed by the water. And it's lovely. So can I tell you, at some point this week, tomorrow, tonight, whenever you do it, whenever you have your weekly shower. um, (laughs) Whenever you next get in the shower, turn it up as hard as it can possibly pummel you. And think God's grace will just overwhelm me. I cannot be separated from him. Because he is my representative. I will always have grace overflowing me while I'm trusting in Jesus. That's very wonderful. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you that you have set up humanity this way. We pray that we would not be those who fear the consequences of sin. We would not be those who fear Death, which comes to all men and women. But we would be those who say, praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be for his grace, which means that we will reign in righteousness to eternal life, all because of the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. We praise you for him in his great name. Amen.